Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. It's not so much real to me anymore, but sometimes I pretend <laughs> like it is. Uh, WrestleMania was this last weekend. That's not still real to me, Whoop. though. I do enjoy watching it, but it's not still real to me. But anyway, uh, did you guys see the Andre the Giant documentary yes, yet? Yes, I did. Fantastic. I've not seen it yet. Oh, oh yeah. I don't want to spoil it for you then. It's 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 pretty damn good. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. I heard Bill Simmons did a really good job with it. Damn good job. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, there's an Andre the Giant story I'll tell you guys when we get off air that's actually really good um, that I'm sure wasn't in the documentary. Well, but. all the Andre Giant stories, Andre the Giant stories that are good are off air stories. They're exactly. Not PG 13 right. stories. Exactly. Yes, yeah. most of the Those best stories. Those are good, but they aren't as good as the ones that are rated R. In and the NC-17. somebody like you, who I literally would call a historian on things like wrestling, especially Andre the Giant. That this documentary may not be as insightful to you because you know so much. Like I've learned a lot from Andre just from like listening to different sports radio interviews, and was surprised that a lot of the info you knew about in him it just did a good job of humanizing him. But definitely yeah. had some of the stories also that you know go down in legend that you heard in like the A and E biopic from like a decade ago. Well, I'll tell it right now. Whatever we can tell it, it's not that bad. Uh, by the way, this is Longhorn Blitz with Horns Twenty Four Seven dot com. We do talk Texas football on this podcast, but. It's going to happen. A quick Andre the Giant story. So this yeah. was, uh, I was listening to the Bruce Pritchard podcast, something to wrestle with, and they were, I forgot what pay-per-view or wrestler they were talking about, but they were telling, on, Bruce was telling Andre the Giant stories, and uh, apparently there was a, just a random house show match, Andre the Giant's wrestling Bad News Brown. What's a house show match? Just it, like- it's just like a live event, non-televised. Um, they're wrestling each other, and Andre, he liked to do this. Apparently, this was brought up in the documentary. He's a big flan- fan of flatulence. Yes. And thought it was funny every now and then when he farted on people. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, he went to uh, do that to Bad News Brown during a match and apparently pulled the wrong cord. And let's just say it was a bad day for oh, Bad no. News Brown. Oh! More than a fart, eh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you, yeah, Andre, mean, that's about as worst of a short. A little more than a short. It's a short... Yeah, you know I mean, yes. one of those. Yeah, yeah. But they talk about that in the documentary a little bit. Not that story. No, not that one. They do talk about his love of flatulence, that he <laughs> was a big fan Living of up it. to every stereotype As you can think of. a seven-foot, whatever, 500-pound human being, yeah, imagine that type of flatulence. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, like, like drink 106 it. beers in a setting. Yeah, that kind of dude, yeah. Um, like, anyway, remarkable. so there's there's a quick Andre the Giant story for that's us to get started great, today. Um, that, that's, you know what, but that, you know, that happens in athletics more than people actually no i mean there there are no you know po- porta potties or restrooms True. you know around there when you're starting to get in competition especially for football I, there, two occasions while i played on the 40 acres there were men that i'm assuming shorted themselves like they thought it was going to be something else and should then, do bleed as you one yeah, might be a head coach then, somewhere boom, right? then, yeah and it, it it happened on two different occasions and 
Yeah, I mean, if you got the if if it happens there, what are you gonna do? There's nowhere well, to go exactly. on the sideline. They should have porta potties on the sideline. I don't know why they don't. Now that's they finally do really have that sort of ones. tarp. We have that like area. that tent thing, but I'm assuming there might be a bathroom in there. I don't know. So we don't know what the hell instead, other, other instead of that concussion tent. tent somebody should yeah. invent some sort of. I don't know why of, uh, there are no porta like really fancy was on the sideline. Like that should be automatic. some sort of receptacle. If you will. every time we've yeah. had to like huddle around guys while yeah. they go pee no, on the sideline. I mean, used to routinely see that with towels like in the nineties. It's stuff. weird, man. I don't yeah. get it. And yeah. say the name of the wrestler that got whatered on by Bad News Brown. All right, Bad News Brown. That's such a great name that that happened to Bad, Bad News, News Brown. Brown at the end of that. Yeah, very fitting. That's how you know it's old school. So uh, we will uh, not talk Andre the Giant or any more wrestling stories. We're going to talk Texas football because we have one week left until the spring game. Uh, scrimmage coming up this week, and it'll be the last spring scrimmage, and then. Uh, We've got the spring game coming up next week, so we'll talk some Texas football uh, during the show. We'll load it down with spring football talk. It. I've actually got something to throw Rod's way here in a little bit. Uh, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, what's up? Oh, actually, happy regular season NBA is over. Playoffs coming up, so that's good. My schedule just got a lot easier. There you go. Yes. Um, that's actually why we had to move this podcast back a day. Yeah, thank <clears throat> back you. To, <clears throat> back to recording on Thursday because uh, the, the the NBA regular season <laughs> for Matt and Daily Fantasy it's that's huge. money time, is it not? Yes. Yeah. And yesterday was chaos because like Rod probably noticed the Rocket starters. You've never heard of any of them. Like yeah. it was literally Zoo Kui, Jiniaki Onuaku. Like like I was researching guys I didn't even know played college basketball. We saw that Andre Ingram guy. He's yeah, a great, that's a great story. dude. They've been in the G League for a decade. Well, he's like thirty. He's like he's like thirty three yeah, years. He's something? younger 32? than me. It shows how yeah. weathered you get if you yeah. stay on the G League circuit. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at the Mavericks, uh, the Mavericks lineup for their last mm-hmm. game, and it's like Dirk Nowitzki, Harrison, Bar- or Dirk was out, and Harrison Barnes and uh, Dennis Smith both sat out. And I'm like, how, you, how are they going to field a team? Like, yeah, you're just going to put a bunch of G League call ups? Yeah, Kyle Collinsworth was in the starting there lineup. There you go. Um, anyway, a man that uh, knows about the grind of professional sports because he's been there. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL when he was done with football. Got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. If he knew where his teetering was, he would wear it proudly. But nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. Number 21 in your program, but number one in your heart's Mr. Rod Babers. And, Rod, I want to start this discussion off kind of talking broadly uh, and and bring it to the Texas defense, though, because I had an interesting question. Uh, It was not an interesting question, but it made me think and uh, made me think there's some terminology that might need to get clarified. Um, When you look at this Texas defense, it it is a field and boundary defense in terms of you'll hear Texas talk about the B-backer. That is the boundary side linebacker. You'll hear them talk about the boundary safety, the field safety, the boundary corner, the field corner. So, Rod, um, just and I'm sure we talked about this, and I apologize if we have and I don't remember. We broke it down, the the nuances Mm. of it. But I want to go through over what is, like, the concept of a field and boundary defense and what are the advantages because I'm thinking – Against tempo offenses in a league like the Big 12, is a field and boundary defense, does that make it maybe more simple to figure out where you're going in terms of what hash mark the ball is on and maybe just to get lined yeah. up quicker? Um, yeah, based on the field, I mean, the – and right. I, I've heard – yeah, I've heard it too. Honestly, this is interesting because when I played, I didn't deal with that at, at the college or the pro level. 
Um, but it's based on like, yeah, what's the wide side of the field and what is the short side of the field? Mm-hmm. The field is the wide side yeah. and the boundary is the short side of the field. And then I've heard there is even a kind of more in-depth way to at least make it more specific than they do it on strength of uh, of teams because some teams go on their strength. They, they usually do them to the boundary and to the field, that kind of thing. Based Especially on your corner 12. personnel, basically. Yeah, which yeah. One is better yeah. So they got – yeah, so, and I, so I think the, the advantage may be that you can kind of break up the – uh, you know, kind of break up the offensive in terms of the diagnosis and, and breaking down the play. You can basically kind of cut it in half almost like they always say that offense is, oh, this offense, it cuts the field in half for the quarterback. You almost do that defensively when you talk about the boundary in the field. Mm-hmm. All right, no, yeah. So until in, you in get the simplified culture, in terms of you're going to be yeah, able to set to up me, real quick. To me, that's what that's kind of the advantage that you almost simplified. You basically like it's oh yeah, he just he, he reads one side of the field. You're almost just reading as a corner or you know that side linebacker, however you want to play it, um, ends up reading the defense as just the field, which is could end up having deep, different defensive concepts and principles, and then to the boundary, def, different defensive concepts and principles. Allows you to be multiple and complicated as a defense, but also to simplify it for the personnel. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so uh, to, to me, that's kind of the advantage that you get to be a little bit more uh, deceptive defensively. Because you can do different things based on that defensive coverage, but also, oh, to the boundary, we do this mm-hmm. in cover two. Uh, to the field, we do this in cover two. Yes. So you can look different. You can have better shell formations in the, the pre-snap read for the quarterback. I think this allows you just to be more multiple and look multiple. Yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily think it, it's any like change in terms of the technique that you do from you know from from anything that I've done, which is usually just a regular base formation like that, our coverage that we do all throughout the defense. And we didn't even we went strength and you know you go strong side linebacker weak side strong and weak were what we basically clarified everything by. Yeah. But. Now you can do strong and weak, but also they they take into account the boundary in the field. I think it's just an added element that allows you to do more defensively, even more so about how you look and deception, but not necessarily the technique and the coverage. All that stuff and the concepts are still the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and I mean, yeah. when you sit there and you're looking at a way that you can quickly almost, you hear about, you know, high-low coverages where you cut off into quadrants or quarters yeah, or thirds. You know I mean? It's the idea that you're now going and you have that field inside and then within it, you, you can easily make them appear the same, but you can actually have the players line up differently and have, like you were saying, the different rules with in the yeah. field side so then it's a quick you don't have to necessarily know the entire defense you have to know what the responsibility if you're on the boundary side and they're going to be doing this this is our overarching rule as a defense exactly. or overarching yeah. rule as an offense so then when you're in that chaos in a hurry up you can sit you can go line up real quick and, and know your responsibility okay. oh, i'm in no the boundary okay, good. And then yeah. boom, boom boom and it's just a good quick way to compartmentalize and then instead of looking at the whole defense and knowing all 11 
knowing that we all know that within these quadrants or whichever area that you're dealing in, this is what we do. But then those tendencies can be manipulated, but that's where the fun chess game can come in yeah. from the D coordinator to be showing these things and then having different, like say if uh, you're facing a wide receiver that's a vertical threat this week, you may have totally different rules inside that field side or the boundary side just yeah. depending on who you're facing. Depending on the formation yeah, you face exactly. and the offensive uh, personnel it's you're like facing. All the stuff that on that chart that the it's, coach has. But it's, it's almost to me like an easy, it's like a, a shortcut to teaching more complicated concepts. Compared yeah. to your start, you know just what I mean? The same Instead way of you of, having to learn the entire defense, I'm going to have you learn the, what, what to do on the boundary side and the field side. But based on the coverage we play, that's going to all look different to the quarterback which is what it's all about. A streamlined so I, system, the way you it, talk about starts uh, going from scratch or going and making something out of the box. It's like almost a pre-organized you know, organized scheme that you have yeah. offensively, but it's on your defense. Yeah, it, and I'm sure it's not new, but right. we didn't do a lot of it when I played, and I wasn't exposed to a lot of it in the NFL, but I was exposed to split coverages, which a lot of the time were based on evolved, wide side or the field side. So in a sense, they, it was the same thing. Just so, evolved uh, yeah, terminology I mean, and phrasing yeah, to modern offenses. See, that was going to be one of my questions, Rod, because when you look at this Texas defense, their highlight positions, the B-backer, the boundary corner, the boundary safety, those are the positions that when you talk to recruits, that's where you want to be in Todd Orlando's defense. So that makes me feel like – if you're running a split coverage, your field side coverage might be a cover two or a cover three where guys have some more help, whereas on that boundary side, you might take a guy like Chris Boyd and say, hey, that short side receiver, you've got that guy. And, and a lot of times now, when you, especially flipping on the other side, and look how Tom Herman runs his offense. Their X receiver is the guy they want to be into the boundary. Yeah. That's usually that's, – that's your Colin Johnson. That's your bigger body guy that can go up and win a 50-50 ball. You might tell Chris Boyd, look, you're in man – Forget what the field side coverage is. You are in man this coverage in this got. situation. Yeah, no yeah that's when it. you have an individual talent yeah. that you can basically pivot your whole defense around that one player. It really, I mean, you see that in the NBA all the time. Like the ultimate pivot is Rudy Gobert, and he can pivot every single player. But if you start him off the left block instead of the right block, it affects the whole rest because now that wide side's open. Yeah. So the help side defense Everybody's is different. Adjust. So if you have a DB, you have somebody like, say, Boyd can lock that down. And same theory the way y'all did with Jammer. Yeah. Or you roll like your that coverage certain over. ways. Yeah. It's the yeah, same yeah. type of idea that you can just then build off of that strength, and then it can actually help the weaknesses. But like you said, you know, like you said, Rod, when you have a field and boundary defense, it doesn't complicate things. Where you go, okay, guys, this week we forget what we know. We got to install this. It's almost your installs are there. It just streamlines that process of hey, we'll just switch it up this week. Boom, let's go. Exactly. Uh, when because you, see you trips on your side in uh, on uh, you get trips in the boundary here, or we get trips on the field here. The team likes to run trips a lot or bunch formation. Then you just make a simple adjustment. Yeah. All right, boundary side, we're doing this. Field side for this, we're doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, can, it, you can simplify it and still give yourself uh, somewhat of a, an advantage of being able to have a different shell look on each side. And the quarterback, just just giving him a second longer to process the information, mm -hmm. you know, the presentation. I go back to what uh, when I had a chance to to catch up with Mike Mayock at Pro Day. He said he's encouraged NFL head coaches that he knows and guys in the scouting community that he knows. That he said, hey, if you're looking at taking a Texas a quarterback in this draft, you know, go watch Sam Darnold. Baker Mayfield and Mason Rudolph in order to watch them against Texas because yeah. that's the best that's the best look that's going to replicate what they're going to see at the next level because yeah. of what Todd Orlando's doing. Yeah, I agree with that because he uh, there's so many different 
looks that he gives you. I, I read your piece at Horns 24-7 about, you know, Brecken Hager, and he's really excited about Brecken Hager. He thinks he's a, miss, he's a matchup nightmare, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he basically says he's a matchup nightmare. He says he's a toy, and I got to make sure I use him and, and maximize his strengths and get him in situations where, you know, he's one-on-one, and he's one-on-one with a guy who we know is subpar whether that be through stunts and twists inside to try to get him matched up on the interior alignment that he's much more athletic than, whether that be blitzing from his side, overload blitzes where he gets matched up on an, an offensive tackle who gets confused and then you can discombobulate the blocking schemes, or whether that be just about moving him around and getting him matched up on the subpart tackle, whoever it is. Like that's a guy that can win yeah. the matchup battle. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, to me, Todd Orlando is all – and it'll be interesting this year because last year, as Matt pointed out, a lot of the pressure from his defenses came from the back end, from linebackers and from defensive backs especially. Defensive backs actually disproportionately uh, provided more pressure right. on quarterbacks for Texas than any – probably, by the, uh, I don't know, probably 90% of FBS teams. Mm-hmm. But the defensive line did not. But this year, your, your pressure – I would say your talent pressuring the quarterback – is at the DN's positions with Charles Amenahu and Brecken Hager, Malcolm Roach up front as well, who's really diverse piece they've been using a lot. Throwing Marquez Bimage with people behind the scenes will tell you might be their best natural pass rusher. Yeah, because he, I mean, he's just a guy that can play a lot of different things. And I, I, I love the fact that they've been using him at B-backer. And now I think with all the injuries, been putting him at middle linebacker or something. Roach, yeah. Jeffrey, Rover. Je- Roach, is, Roach is at the Rover. Jeffrey McCullough's basically being all the B-backer snaps yeah. now in spring. You know what ball. I mean? Like, I think that's good because we already know, I think the, the asset for Malcolm Roach, that he's, he's diverse. He can play a number of things. You want to, I think you want to facilitate that. You want to build on that. You don't want to, you know, and I, I remember when Tom Herman called Brecken Hager last year. Uh, what did he call him? He called him a tweener. He's like, he's a tweener. We got to figure out how to use him. He's a tweener. And I was like, tweener sounds like, like negative. That's that sounds negative like, yeah, like, yeah, he's a tweener. We'll fi- like Nowadays, you, you throw away, that's a scrap. Oh, he's a tweener, man. We'll, <laughs> we'll figure out some way to use him. Now I think he's more, they're going to start calling him a hybrid. Yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? It's something that, no, 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 it's something we covet. We like this kind of guy as a hybrid, like Jason Hall or like DeMarion Overshone is going to end up being. So I think for Todd Orlando, that's exciting. But I'm wondering how he's going to manufacture that pressure now with the talent pressure in the quarterback on the D-line as opposed to your depth at defensive back that he had last year with Hall and Bonnie and Antoine Davis and Holden Hill and Deshaun Elliott. Now a lot of those guys are gone. This sh- it, it's a shift. And then yeah. you got injuries now at linebacker. Right. You know what I mean? So how are you going to manufacture the pressure? That's going to be a huge question this year for Todd Orlando because I think it's going to come from the front end. It's going to be a lot of pressure on Brecken Hager and on Charles Amenahu. I'll give you the quote from Todd Orlando on Brecken Hager. This was on uh, ESPNU Radio's uh, spring camp tour on Sirius XM. Uh, Todd Orlando talking to Andy Staples and Rick Neuheisel. He said, when you prove to me that you're a matchup issue, then we're going to go after people with you. I think he's, and he being Brecken Hager, in my opinion right now, and I'm not tentative in saying this part of it, he's a matchup issue. He's a matchup issue. We all agree. He's yeah. the most natural pass rusher right now that Texas has. Yeah. They haven't had two natural pass rushers like this, and Charles Minn, who has it in him too, and he's just like freak. Just look mm-hmm. at him. Was he 6'6", 290 or something? 280. What is 270. He? I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just nasty. All right? You know what I mean? Uh, and and Brecken, just his motor from what I've heard, I Tom Herman, when they asked him, like, how's Brecken doing? He was like, he's unbelievable. 
<laughs> he's, he's great. He's fantastic. I thanked him the other day for just playing so hard. Which is some of the which is some of the same stuff he said about Puna Ford. Like he yeah, said he's so, so, Hager so for I'm, I'm how really hard excited about that. But yeah. I think that you know Charles Amenahu, he that's going to be big for, if he figures out you know how to become kind of an elite pass rusher. Last time was like 2013. Remember that group was that Alex Okafor and. Cedric Reed, mm. two thousand. Well, two thousand, two thousand thirteen. It was two thousand thirteen. It was uh, was it was it, it Okafor and Reed? It, it was Reed and Jeffcoat in yeah, thirteen. And then Reed four, and fourteen was when Ridgeway was yeah. coming on from the interior, and yeah. then you had still Reed hanging. Th- right, I think you got. I think you got to go back to. I think you go back to twenty eleven. Well, those guys had double digit sacks. Well, I think you go back to twenty eleven though. When o- Okafor was an All American, I think he had seven and a half, eight and a half sacks. And the Jeffcoat, I think that year probably had nine and a half sacks. <laughs> Didn't Okafor had like seven in that Alamo Bowl himself? Uh, no, we gotta go back and look at it. Okafor and Jeff Coat never blossomed around the same time. It was weird. So 2011 was the only was, year because Jeff yeah, Coat was hurt. Half Jeff Coat was the defensive player of the year and win 2013. Yeah. In 2013, Okafer, that's gone. when he had his big season. And Okafer was gone. And Okafer was already gone. Remember, Okafer had that last year. That's what year. he was saying, though, 11 was huh? that when Okafer went off was 2011. Yeah, and no. I don't I don't think Jeffcoat went off then. No, 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 the no double, he did The last time no. we had double-digit sackers were, it was Reed and Oak. It, it was like Reed and Jeffcoat or Reed and Oak. For a summer. 2012. I'm trying to find it right That's now. That's what we got to find. 2012. Because that was the, year, the last time I looked was it up. Okafor had a big year, but Jeffcoat got hurt in the OU game. Jeffcoat yeah, missed Yeah, maybe half that the was year. it. It was some. 2011 yeah. was the year Okafor was an All American, but I think Jeffcoat had more sacks. It could be something like that. It was a weird. It was a weird time because both of those guys. I want to say they never got a chance to go off in the same year, but I could be wrong about and that. And there was just so. I don't know if they had double digit sacks either. in the same year. Well, and after Arakpo Kendall, and then with high expectations of both those guys being five stars, no matter how good they would be, they were never going to live up to what we expected them probably to be. Yeah, no, no, no. It was fairly, but yes, it, th- we don't have a lot of natural pass rushers on the forty acres all the time, and. I think that was the last group that had natural pass. I'm going to try to find that, but Rod, yeah, Rod, Rod marinate on this real quick, though. I, I got some quotes from Todd Orlando in that Sirius XM interview. And the most fascinating thing that I found in there, <clears throat> excuse me, was he was asked if he was an NFL GM, what position would he prioritize? And this is why I think maybe the most underrated thing about this defense is Chris Boyd coming back. And Todd Orlando said the one thing he would prioritize – would be finding a great cover corner. If he's got a guy that can lock down on the outside, he said that's the one thing he would find. So yeah. he and he said he looked at elite defenses, all the elite defenses he studied over time. He said those defenses had two things in common. They had an elite uh, a lockdown one lockdown corner and somebody up front that can manufacture 8 to 10 sacks. So what you were just talking about with Brecken Hager and the yeah. matchup issue and the things you can do with him, you know Hager had he had four sacks last year, and he didn't really play half the year because they were trying to figure out how to best use him. It wasn't yeah. really until they found that lightning, lightning package, package as their base package that point. they really found yeah. a home for Hager. That's when he called him a tweener, I think, right around and, that time. And now you you got Chris Boyd coming back, who at the end of the year last year played like a lockdown corner. So now you look at that and you say, okay, does Todd Orlando, regardless of all the losses, yeah, they lost Puna Ford, Malik Jefferson, and Sean Elliott, Holton Hill, but – Todd Orlando might have the two things he needs with those two guys to be an elite defense, at least in his view of what an elite defense is. Yeah, because you, it, Gary Johnson is probably the biggest, not most important piece right now because I don't think there's any doubt Chris Boyd is going to pick up where he left off. And if not, I think he'll still play at a really high level. Um, you know the depth now in the back end 
even if John Bonney's not getting it done and P.J. Locke's not getting it done, I have full faith that Brandon Jones is going to be a steady starter for him too. They got so much young talent behind them. If they're not pushed to the limit, then one of those younger guys will end up coming to the forefront and having to play. And, I, and then that's a different challenge, but at least you'll still have you know the, the better player out there, even the younger investment. And will, it'll already start paying dividends in the first year. So I'm not worried about the, the defensive backs as much because you, you got a lot of veteran talent there. Defensive line, we talked about it. The linebacking core, now with the injuries that they've had to deal with, Edwin Freeman being one of them now too, Man, there's no replacing Gary Johnson, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you can't find – if Gary Johnson ends up getting hurt or is dealing with injuries or something like that, it's going to be hard to replace him because we talked about the central nervous system before. So we know Puna was the hardest guy to replace on defense from last year, right? Because yeah. you got a Gary Johnson, you got a Chris Boyd, you know, Brecken Hager on the D-line is going to help you. you got veterans coming back that can help you fill those roles. than you think about. Right? And Puna Ford was – you know, the most, the most irreplaceable guy there. It was hard to replace him. Mm-hmm. But you have pieces around him. You're like, you know what? We'll be steady there. Defensive ends are going to be veterans. We'll have a veteran linebacking core. But if you don't have a veteran linebacking core, and then you end up missing Garrett Johnson too, your central nervous system of your defense is threatened. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, right 100%. up the gut with the guys that you're going to make all the checks, the guys there who are the communication center of the defense. That worries me. It's like when Jordan Hicks went down mm-hmm. for for that Texas, t- two thousand twelve. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's that's one of those things. Like man, that's it's hard to replace that. So that's what they have to kind of deal with, and they got to create and manufacture depth there. Yeah, and you were spot on. The two thousand twelve, whenever that injury happened, also mm-hmm. was whenever Jeff was saying the injury to Jeff Cope because in eleven you had seven sacks. For uh, Okafor and eight for Jackson, and then it ended up being twelve and four before the injury. Four and six games. So Jeff Coat was on the way to it in thirteen, yeah. but didn't get it. And then in thirteen, you had thirteen for Jeff Coat and ten for Said Reed. So. Two thousand eleven, okay, Jack. Yeah, two thousand eleven. But the the number I look at too, and keep in mind this: Alex Okafor was a first team All American in two thousand eleven. He had tw- yeah. fourteen tackles for loss. Jackson Jeff Coat had twenty one tackles for loss. Wow. As a sophomore. Impressive. Yeah, yeah. That was the last time you had that much depth at DN. And Okafor, keep in mind with Jeff Coat and Reed. But the other thing, Rod, just yeah. like last year with Todd Orlando, we talk about his blitz percentages with his DBs, and Jason Hall ended up being a big part of that once that lightning <laughs> package came into play. What Manny Diaz was able to do with the veteran linebacker group, mm-hmm. he was able to use Manuel Acho as a pass rusher. Keenan Robinson, Robinson became a pass rusher. There were yeah. times Jordan Hicks could become a pass rusher. So... You Kenny had Vaccaro. Yeah, you, you could also use Kenny Vaccaro in the, the nickel yeah. as a pass rusher. So yeah, it's it was that Adrian defense. That that defense was damn yeah. good. Yeah, You're looking back in terms at it of their now, ability. Like, to wow, I wish we could have that roster. Well, it was veterans too, though. Oh yeah, and you throw in a Gideon, you throw in uh, yeah. Adrian Phillips, you throw in a Quandre or yeah. a Bindum to go with Randall, the Hicks but and the It was Randalls veterans, and when you lost those veterans, which Texas lost a lot of veterans, they're going to bring some back. You know, you can have that kind of drop off, and yeah. it doesn't. It's a thin line too. Like it literally is losing one guy, and that was the thin thread that was holding everything together. My concern is that's that's Gary Johnson. Yes, just like two thousand. Go the year later, you know two thousand twelve. What, I mean? what happened to that defense once Jordan Hicks got hurt against Ole Miss? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, what I mean, like he was the thread. They had a lot of talent there. Go look. There's a lot of talent on that defense, but he was the thread that was holding it together. Right. Um, and when you lose a guy like that, the communication center right up the gut. 
Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Rob, that, nervous system. You know, we did every week. We do a question of the week at Horns twenty four seven, and this week it was, "What is your biggest concern with two weeks left of spring practice?" And you know, my colleagues almost unanimously picked the offensive line, and I'll disagree with them because when you when yeah. you look at the Texas offensive line in the spring game, keep in mind that that's a shell of what it's going to look like when camp starts. Agreed. Because you'll get Mikey Grandy back full go from the concussion, mm-hmm. hopefully. You'll get Patrick Hudson back. As a matter of fact, today as we record this, we got an open media window for practice this afternoon. Um, Patrick Hudson's supposed to be an individual today, so we'll see if it that is. happens. Yeah. So if that happens and you can at least start getting him back, then boom, you're on. The, you're definitely on the right track there. So you'll get Mikey Grandy back. You'll get Patrick Hudson back. You'll get Calvin Anderson in this summer, so he'll get the whole summer to go through Yancey McKnight's program before he gets on the field. And who knows? I mean, I don't like the idea of playing true freshman offensive lineman, but if – Junior Angelau or Reese Moore or Christian Jones, if one of these guys just happens to be ready to, to step into your two deep and give you some reps here or there, then so be it. But you're going to add more pieces, is my point, between yeah. now and, and when it matters, September 1st against Maryland. My biggest concern was the health of the central nervous system of the defense because, like you said, Rod, if you're talking about – and granted, this has been really good for Malcolm Roach to get a look at him inside, get a look at him at Rover, because now Todd Orlando's got an idea, okay, conceptually I can do these different things with Roach and have these sub-packages, blah, 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 and whatever. You can yep. kind of mix and match. But if you lose Gary Johnson for a, a, an extended amount of time, and people can say what they want about P.J. Locke, P.J. Locke's played a lot of football. Exactly. Also part of that central nervous system. He'd be right mm-hmm. up the gut. Yeah. Right? As an inside linebacker slash And, and then he's either in the yeah. nickel or in the lightning package. He's one of your deep safeties. Oh, your safeties. Exactly. So it, those are the guys you yeah. fall back on, that's pretty good to have. If he's out of the mix, you haven't had Chris Nelson healthy this spring. You, also, you're, your deep yeah, tackles. You're yeah. going to need Chris Nelson to be back full go by the time camp starts. So you, it's the health of the central nervous system of the defense to me is the one thing nobody's talking about that everybody should be talking and about. And it's in danger. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I agree with you 100. percent I and I and when PJ Locke went down, I was like, "Damn!" I gotta tell you, their inside linebacker now you're now you're you know your nickel and P, you know we also talked about uh, Chris Nelson too. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I thought about that and I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna bring it up because I've been talking about that for like a year, <laughs> and people may be tired of me talking about it, but that's what happened to Manny Diaz, and the same thing happened to Vance. I gotta go back and go back and look at the injuries for them. I never looked at the injuries though. For Vance Barefoot and Manny Diaz. So I, I don't the big, know. The big one for Vance was, you know I mean? Hassan, so was maybe, Hassan Ridgeway not being healthy. That hurt. And that's central nervous system. Yeah, that's that your hurt. D-tackle. Yeah, that would uh, hurt. Ma- and, and Manny Diaz's big one was uh, Jordan Hicks going down. Yeah. Yeah. That's you. That, that's That was the end. That was the that thread holding it together. So that's my concern. But you know what? I'm not going to put injuries on <laughs> Thank team. goodness, Injury is something that you can't control. Right. Thank goodness, you know I mean? though, that it's happening during spring. So now, like I said, they can get a good look at Malcolm Roach inside and decide if that's something they want to look at further. They can get a good look at Taquan Graham as the nose tackle in a three-man front. They can get yeah. a good look. Get a good look at some of those young safeties. Caden Stearns was running first team on Tuesday with P.J. Lockout in that lightning package. So get a good look at some of those young defensive backs. Yeah. So at least it's happening in spring ball to where you're going to get those guys back at some point. But, you know, look at that defense. And if that yeah. defense has trouble, if they get shredded or whatever, I mean, then you can see, okay, this is how important a Chris Nelson, a Gary Johnson, a P.J. Locke, how important those guys up the gut are to this defense. It seems like they are they're pretty stout on the edges oh, of yeah. the defense. You know what I mean? We're talking about D.N., cornerback. You know, outside linebacker, which and I know they're mm-hmm. moving Malcolm Roach and 
McCulloch, like inside, experimenting now. That's because they don't have depth. Man, but on the edges of the defense, I mean, they're pretty stout. Right. It's just right there. Yeah, I agree. Right up the gut, there's a lot of uncertainty. Oh, and that sort of inside. It reminds me of how some ways when you'd hear other people talk about uh, Max teams or Max teams at the beginning that you know, y'all could put out a group of starters as good as anybody, but then it wasn't that y'all hadn't formed the talented depth yet that comes with, you know, five years of classes that it come from a kid, you know, a coach having yeah. players that he's picking. Right now, you look at Texas, you can look, and if you're trying to fill out a depth chart, you can see some guys with experience and be like, this could be good if everything goes the right way. But like you're saying, you can't predict injuries. Injuries happen in football more than anything, so then you have to be ready for it. And that's where if you could have some young guys emerge so you can have the guys like P.J. Locke being the ones that are, say, the backups you're relying upon instead of being the guy you have to depend upon, then it could be where yeah. you get to build that depth. But if you don't have a couple of those guys and you have a few starters go down, you can have a crater just fall out in the middle of the season if you just don't have what you've developed. Let's spend the the last portion of this podcast, the last half we got, uh, talking about the offense. And, Rod, I want to go to something – you talk about maybe people get tired of you talking about the central nervous I know, I system. I talk about stuff too much. Yeah, man. Um, people it matters. Might, people, it does, but yeah. I'm, I feel like a crazy man sometimes central on the soapbox. Like, yeah. Shut up, man. But Shut it's up. Fine. We understand, Rod. We understand. I'm sure, I get texts like that all the time. I'm sure our listeners have heard us talk since the formation yeah. of this podcast and even in this second uh, version of it. Uh, talk a lot about explosive plays and the importance oh, of explosive plays. Mm-hmm. But I bring Bill Walsh who used to talk about that, not mm-hmm. us. You know, I think from my my summer talk reading plan, I think guys. I'm gonna read that yeah. Bill Walsh book, Rod. I think yeah. I'm gonna go go like Amazon and buy finding the winning edge. Finding, finding the winning yeah. edge, I think is what it's called. Yeah, I think I'm gonna yeah. get it on Amazon and read it this summer. You'd love it. I uh, yeah, I think I'd just go yeah. nuts. My wife. I think he talks about the salary cap in there, like a lot of stuff. My wife's gonna read some like you know whatever some murder mystery and i'm reading like oh, are Bill you guys Walsh. like reading before y'all go to bed now that kind of thing? Yeah. no Turn the light we're, on. we're not we're not like old ron <laughs> i don't like i don't know like what are you imagining I'm not married a stocking yet. cap i don't have kids so no lately yeah. with the with, with the baby and the, with the baby needing to get to sleep i'm i'm pretty much not working in my office anymore my office is either the bed the living room or the bedroom has become my office oh yeah i like the way that sounds yeah <laughs> trust me it ain't, it ain't that sexy i'm the bedroom that's my office but don't don't. Um, I got and, proof. Anyway, I got a baby. Jeez. Um, moving on, talking about explosive plays. Uh, Tom Herman said one thing he liked about the second scrimmage was the fact that the the passing game was he said is they threw the ball as well as good as they have in a long time around there. Yeah, he he basically insinuated it was the best they had best practice in terms of passing that they've had since he's been here. And Rod, I'm telling you. Interesting. I, I don't want to get ahead bad. of myself because this guy was <laughs> miscast last year, not used, and we heard he was a transfer candidate and all that. But everything I'm hearing is that like once or twice per day, Devin Duvernay in 11-on-11 is beating somebody deep down the field for a touchdown. <laughs> well, oh, he's I can faster than everybody. And, yeah, he's a track star, right? <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. But two we track stars on the team now. anything else we didn't, than diversify we didn't, those We skills. didn't see that utilized, though, hardly at all last year. No, you're right. And the Agreed. fact that he's able to do it, the fact that he's having the best spring maybe of anybody in the program, it, it gives me some optimism, Rob, that maybe this staff has got a better idea offensively of what their personnel can do, which, let's face it, mm-hmm. yeah, there were issues with the offensive line, there were issues with whatever. Yeah. But a big part of the reason the offense struggled last year, the part that's in the equation is, we talked about the wide receiver rotation, running back rotation. Is this staff not having a really good handle on their personnel? It seems like this spring 
they've done, whether that's Drew Maringer and, and Corby Meekins coaching receivers or Stan Drayton with the running backs, and it's been easier for Stan Drayton because he's only had two for most of the spring. Yeah. But it's they seems like, especially wide receiver, they've got a much better idea of who their personnel is and what those guys can do. I think they, um, they understand that as a staff they underachieved uh, coaching the wide receiver position last year. Yeah. And there's a lot of, I don't know, it seems like they were discombobulated, that they were confused about how to maximize guys. There were mm-hmm. also some some culture issues where guys may have been benched because they didn't perform in practice, and that's something that we are not privy to. So if they didn't perform in practice, then they wouldn't play in the game. So stuff like that about guys like Monty Foreman and Colin Johnson, you dealt with that. So there was a lot of confusion about why the best players weren't on the field constantly at the wide receiver position. And not only that, why the players who were on the field weren't maximized to be put in a position to be at their their best and put in a position to be most successful. Colin Johnson, for example, why is he not always playing in the red zone? He wouldn't be in in the red zone at times. They would have other guys in there that didn't make any sense. And, yeah, you're right. If you've got a guy like Devin Dewitt as a track star – Maybe you should go deep with him every now and then. Just allow him to just outrun the competition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we talked about the deep ball not being a part enough of the game plans early on last year. And I think later on throughout the year they started taking shots. USC, they were just taking shots downfield. That's what you have to do a lot of the time when you got a six six guy on one side. Mm-hmm. So he's a natural matchup advantage. And then on the other side, you can have track stars like John Burt and Devin Duvernay who can outrun guys. You do that, you naturally stretch the field and allow yourself a better opportunity to run the football because they can't put everybody in the box because you can make them pay. Go back to the one scoring drive they had in the TCU game. It was yeah. two shots. Two yeah. shots, baby. Two you, shots down the field. You can, make up, you can make up for bad mm. offense with just two good It's like a three-point shot in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. like, hey, man, I'm going deep ball. Yeah. You got to do it. And then we got a chance to win. The More one things thing, can happen that, can, that are advantageous to us than you. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that's a, when you have that weapon, you need to take advantage of it, which Texas didn't do in the quantity of times looking Duvernay's number. But I think also last year I, I noticed it that I think he was a victim of the skill players around him because the year before it seemed like Sterling Gilbert's group was able to at least scheme him open with a lot of like more combinations where he is the guy benefiting from another receiver in the flat or just the consumption of the defense with the focus on Deontay Foreman taking the top off so then DuVernay either had defenses up further or you saw good combination because even though Gilbert was a guy that wasn't great at all times he also could scheme receivers open really well in certain route trees and situations Mm -hmm. and DuVernay was the probably the biggest benefactor of being able to get that DB to come down to the flat and him get behind it and recognize it because had high IQ player like Bouchot. But Bouchot can't necessarily outthrow a defense, but he can throw wide open, Dev right. Duvernay open. So yeah, I think exactly. that last year's was a combining of factors that the loss of Deontay and the inability of, say, the new coaches being able to identify the best way to make these guys work and the other receivers, you know, maybe not being up to par or as good as they were the year before, all combined in Duvernay just not having any action. You know, yeah. Matt. Normally, I would add. To, I would add to something, or maybe disagree with you. I have nothing to add to that. That's yeah. exactly what I would have said. That's spot on. Because <laughs> no I mean, Rod, we talk about the play action game all the time. Your play action game is much better when you got a two thousand yard back behind you. Yes. Yeah. You know, well, no question. And I think Texas led the country in play action passes last year. Mm-hmm. Well, not last well, year. Two, two years ago. Yeah, Deontay. Well, yeah, exactly. They led the country in play action passes. But Why not? <laughs> we saw when we saw the play action game be effective though last year. It was. It was by Tim Beck doing what you said they should do, 
which and I I never heard this theory. I don't know, maybe I did, but when you said it, it sunk in. At the beginning of the game, the other team doesn't know your run game sucks yet. So no use your play action game early. They have yeah. no idea. Exactly right. Yeah. And then you and can get in their mind that you're going deep, and then that can help yeah, you later opens on up, the run but game. But it opens up, yeah, it opens up the run game. Like, I don't understand <laughs> early on. You're crazy over yeah. there. Making it hasn't been established that you can't run the football. Yeah, everybody's yet. paying attention to the run early on. I'd be chomping. I mean, I, if I was a, a high-level coach in college or in the NFL, I would come. I would have become known for doing play action really early on in downs. That way, they're never sure what I'm going to do on first down. If I start running it, they're like, damn, you ran it. I thought you do play action. They're always thinking. You know, that's I mean? where so success out breeds themselves. itself, but failure Dude, I, also makes it so much yeah. worse because if you screw that up on the front end, then Dude. it's screwed up for the rest of the game. But if yeah. you can stay that one step ahead yeah. at all times, that's where you rarely can see like the executive that has the foresight to be one step a move to stay away from these issues the way you see. Say somebody like Belichick always seems to be that one move ahead, yeah. never lets it become come that deciding year he's always gonna leave even if we're only up by 20 percent we're gonna leave with the win on everything on all of our decisions and he yeah. can even do that when you're doing play calling like that yep. the, the theme for tom herman this year with the offense this spring anyway it seems to have been confidence like that they need to get confident doing something which i think we all agree yeah. they, they didn't do a good job of last year but rod confidence to me I, I go back and look at a handful of games last year the iowa state game is the one that stuck out remember like that first drive that first like quarter and a half like the offense was on fire they had that like quick strike drive and they were moving yeah. the ball and then they had that botched play where like chris warren pitches it to armani foreman on a reverse and he pitches it behind him Man. and it's a fumble i do remember and, that and, that and the offense fell play. off a cliff after that and it was like the, it just sucked the life out of the offense. And there were so many instances last year where it was like that, where you'd get a good spurt and then one mistake, it's like, oh, man, here we go again. Yeah. Like you could almost feel it in, in the body language. It was weird because sometimes good execution can overcome a bad play call and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Right, a bad, you know, what I mean, like bad, uh, a bad execution on the play it won't be, it won't be perfect execution, but it was such a great play call at that time that mm-hmm. hell, they still get chunky on each other because the play call was just great timing. The defense was set up perfect for open, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, what I mean, that you see that stuff all the time, right? Mm-hmm. It just it's natural, right? Human, uh, you have you know, just just human beings. Period. We're not perfect, but. You also you have the situation where you know a great execution can overcome a bad play call, and it's harder to identify that when you're watching the film. But that was the time when you talk about the the, the Monty Foreman pitch uh, in that game that yeah. went awry and everything went downhill from there. I think it was was it Warren pitching a Foreman. It was Warren pitching a Foreman. I think okay. it was like a halfback. Uh, it was a halfback double reverse, double pass. reverse pat, whatever. Yeah. All right, or at least it, they were attempting that. It's. Bad execution and a bad play call. Can't overcome that. Double whammy. <laughs> Double whammy. You know what I mean? Usually one will overcome That'll the other. Like and you see that tug in war all the time. It's like, man, that was a terrible play call. But, hey, man, the guy's executed. Boom. And, and, and coaches will say, there is no bad play call. If you execute it, then every, every play is perfect. It's like, yeah, well, yeah no, nope. not really. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> right. not the truth. That shows right. me a lot about and you, players coach. know that. Exactly. So <laughs> I think that that's one of those things. Too many times last year it was a bad play call. And bad execution, you know yeah. what I mean. And that's you can't have too many of those. Look, it, and this is no disrespect to Tom Herman or anybody else. If like if Bill, if guys like Bill Walsh can admit when they called bad hey, plays, hey. if like Mike Shanahan can admit when he called a bad play, Super Bowl winning coaches, anybody can call a bad play. Yeah, I called a bad play, man. Mm-hmm. That was a bad play call. My bad. I yeah. thought it, I was I was on a different you know train of thought. It happens. Every, you know it happens exactly. 
but you got to get to the point where your your player's talent can overcome that. Um, and Greg Davis was a great offensive coordinator, but yeah. Greg Davis was not necessarily a great play caller. And they are different. Oh, yeah. Being an we, offensive coordinator doesn't make you a great play We discussed caller. this with Sean Watson. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, right? So at times, uh, there's no doubt Greg Davis is a great offensive coordinator, one of the best in the country, but he wasn't always a great play caller. And there were times where just the talent that we had on offense overcame the play calling. I think, Greg you Davis. know, Sean, Sean Watson to me is the best example of that, Rob, because when you look at when he's been really good in his career, um, it's when, you know, why was he such a good play caller at Colorado? Well, look at that offensive line and look at those backs he had. There you go. He had a first-round tight end, Daniel ends. Graham. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, had, he had some stuff to work with. Mm-hmm. Louisville, he had Teddy Bridgewater. He had a first-round quarterback. He had Devontae Parker. He had a first-round receiver. Yeah. So they had NFL offensive linemen. So they mm-hmm. the, the pieces were there. And like you said, yeah, at Texas it clearly showed that it's good. And I think conceptually – Sean Watson has some really good ideas, and and guys oh, yeah. that I talked to that played on that team, or you know, high school coaches that have been in the room and on the board with Sean Watson, are like, man, conceptually the stuff that he does is really good. It's creative. It's it makes sense. But like you said, there's there's a big difference between designing an offense and having exactly. concepts and ideas and it's, being in the flow of a game and it, calling yeah, a game. Yeah, it's like there's between um, man, make sure I get the names right. Being uh, Steve Jobs and is it Wozniak? Yeah, yeah Steve you know what I mean? the guy that has the great idea and the guy that actually can execute it, and yeah. you know what I mean, and actually be able to program it. You know, what I mean? it's a, there's difference, and some guys are both. And so some people are every, Beethoven, the composer, and the music, and exactly. does it all together. And exactly. everybody's got plans, they get punched in the mouth. And sometimes when, you know, Greg Davis, he was throwing Greg Davis under the bus, but that's not true. He's just the best example I got, and he's a great offensive coordinator. Relatable he to He get punched in the mouth, you got to become a play caller. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You got to drop that game plan and all the, you know what I mean, and all of your concepts that you think work at this time and go, all right, to hell with that. And being a play caller is a lot about gut and yeah. instinct. MacGyver. That's when your football instinct takes over from the for, as a play caller, and that's tougher for some coaches to turn on and off. And this you know kind of I mean? goes into the give talent Rep thing, Davis but I, a booth, a headset, and three football players. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Give him, give him, give him <laughs> a big young, give him a Colt McCoy, and, and, and some talent, and go and, when, and Quan Cosby and Jordan Shipley, and then he'll go. You know what? I call this player every time. Well, hell yeah! Most of the time, that's the right play that's call. That's why his yeah. relationship the worked you got. with Mac Brown. Yeah, to me, Art Browse was a play caller. Yeah, like Art Browse, he had it, but said, "Watch me get this done. I got this." He was like a rapper, a freestyle rapper, not a pop artist. Yeah. The best game, the best game Greg Davis to me ever called was the 2008 Oklahoma game. Oh, that was amazing. And it was just him looking at the Oklahoma defense and saying, you know what? Um, I liked, I just like this matchup of getting Jordan Shipley. I said in a linebacker, so we're going to throw square ends and slants and stick concepts. We're just going to, Jordan Shipley's going to catch his ball till he throws and run till he throws up. Like that was going to be, that was the game plan. Throughout all of the preconceived norms or position, the way we talk about wanting to play a positionless football, that's what Greg Davis was playing in that game with Shipley and just turned him over. Oh, we don't have a tight end. All right. Well, this guy understands our offense, understands coverages, has the best chemistry, and he's pretty tough. He, he exactly. You guys yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in that game they were mostly like ten personnel or five wide in most of that game. Almost the whole time. 
Because yeah. that was then the they, funny part. Because like I remember still hearing Cedric Golden tell the stories about how all week Greg Davis had to lie to him about his game plan about running the football the whole because he couldn't go out there and tell him what he was about to take advantage of. A, that we're just going to throw the ball underneath and just get these mismatches and take advantage of them all yeah. game. And, and you know what, I, Rod, you said you didn't want to throw Greg Davis under the bus. No, I'll, no, no. I, give, I was not trying to. Right. I'll give Greg. I'll, like I'll give Greg Davis credit for this. Um, the one year I was on the beat while Greg Davis was still on the staff, after every game, every Monday in a press conference, he would sit there and he would answer questions thoughtfully and give you – you might not have agreed with it. It might have yeah. been you know, exactly right. something you thought was just totally crazy, but at least he's giving you his rationale on why he did what he did. Well, that's why, well, that's why I say he's a great coordinator because look at how his offense was able – He's the best coordinator in the history yeah, his, of Texas his, football. His, his offense People were able to change over the years, right? He's pro-style with Chris Sims, mm-hmm. a pro-style quarterback. Then he can go to the zone read and the read option with a guy like Vince Young and then go into a West Coast um, kind of spread hybrid with a guy like Colt McCoy. You know what I mean? Because he understood offensive concepts – but that doesn't make you a great play caller. That just makes you a, a guy who can come up with really creative offensive concepts, mm-hmm. and then as long as you've got the personnel to execute it, you're golden. And I think that applies defensively too. Like All, all defense, great defensive coordinators aren't necessarily great defensive play callers. There mm-hmm. is a difference. It's like being, a, like, and Matt brought it up, it's like being some rappers can't freestyle. They mm-hmm. just cannot. They can write it down and be awesome. Make but it sound good. You ask them to freestyle on the spot, and they're like, Nah, that ain't really my thing, man. And mm-hmm. like, and some rappers are like, oh yeah, I freestyle right now. All day. Let's go. That's when you know you're a freestyler. Yeah. And like, you you're a play caller. You're a freestyler. You can freestyle. Is, you know what I mean? Just it's almost like the stand-up comedian's like the ultimate compliment as like yeah. the actor that to can just go up there and riff. And that's where freestyle like when you get to Improvise. the cream of the crop. Boom. You know what I mean? Oh, he's great. He just, just go up there. But and there's talk. only like five of those in the world. Dave you have Chappelle. to be at the global yeah. elite to be at that level of play caller in football. And exactly. Everybody. Just sitting here thinking about it, and I know there was that Kansas incident in 2012 that I swore we'd never talk about again on this Harson. podcast because I value my my heart and my lifetime. Yeah. But is Brian Harson the best? Like in this era of Texas football, is Brian Harson by far the best play caller Texas has had? Is it Post Davis? Hmm. Yeah, play caller, I'd say. In yeah. this era? Yeah. Uh, he was a damn good play caller. If you caller. consider Greg Davis, yeah. Over Brian Harson, Major Applewhite, Sean Watson, Jay Norvell, Sterling Gilbert, mm-hmm. Tim Beck. So I, when I was seven, going through the Major's list, not mind. bad, though. Major's pretty good. Major didn't have a lot of time as a play caller. Really. Right. He only had the one year. Yeah, I don't got a lot of sample size of him as a play caller. You right. know what I mean? But some tells me Major would be damn good. He's got good instincts. I think a play caller is like being a ball hawk. I can't teach you how to be a ball hawk, man. I can't. Nope. I can teach you the skills. We can go over catching drills. I cannot teach you how to be a ball hawk. I can't teach somebody how to be a great pass rusher. You can teach them the technique, but great pass rushing is instinctual, man. That's why Jackson Jeff Coat, the guy was undersized, couldn't play in the league, but go ask him to rush the quarterback. I guarantee you in the league he's a great pass rusher, but they already know when Jackson Jeff goes out there, we run the damn ball at him. We ain't going to even ask him to pass rush. That'll be the ultimate weakness. You know what I mean? Yeah, so there's some guys who just got it naturally, man. They can pass rush. Some guys, they're ball hawks. They got it naturally. And I think play calling, I think it's just natural. I think you just mm-hmm. got it. You know, like, ooh, 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 I'm calling it here, man. We're going 5th, yep. 68, 33 right. Look, you know what I mean? Like, he just know. He just know. He's like, what the hell? He just feel it. You know what I mean? I just, yep. bra- and- I just bragged on Brian Harson, and you were talking about Major, and then I remember, like, Major, you know, 
going to Marquis Goodwin before that right? Animal Bowl saying, hey. All day, need, baby. We need to get you a couple Red Bulls because we're going to you all day. All day, we're baby. We're talking about Brian Harson with the, mm-hmm. the not, you know, the misuse of, of Marquis Goodwin. You know Maybe putting too much thought into it. It's like, nah, man, I know you're good. You, you, no, they can't cover you. Whether you catch it or you don't, we're going to put the fear of God in them every damn time yeah. you out there. And that's going to give us a huge, significant advantage. We're going to turn you into Randy Moss just for one game. And, you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. It, sometimes you, you got to know when to overthink it. You got to know when to go deep. And you got to know when to go, no, it's kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. We got the fastest human being, arguably, in, in the su- southwestern United States on our football team. <laughs> Let's just Yo. run him down the damn field all day long. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it ain't, it, ain't, it, ain't right. it ain't chess, man. It's checkers. It's pretty damn simple. And I did like some of the stuff Harson did, though. I know. I think Harson was a great. I think he had in, in great instinct as a play goal. I think Tom Herman does. Yeah, you know, and that's why I, I think, think Tom Herman does. You know, what I, mean? I think he's got he's got great kind of natural instinct as a play caller. But he said, "Hey, I gotta be in the booth when I do it. I gotta because because it's it, it it's a feel. Yeah. That's why he's got to be in the booth. That's why he's like, I don't like doing it on the sideline. Why? Can't why don't I like doing it on the sideline? You can see the." Because it's a feel. Focus. I feel different when oh, I'm yeah. up there watching as opposed to me being on the sideline and then everything rushing at me and all this stuff. Because it's a feel thing. You got to feel play calling. Yeah. You know what I mean? And some guys, yeah. they don't feel it. They don't feel it. And, it. and it's hard to feel it when you're coaching too. You know, being a head coach. But some guys don't like to be a play caller. What they calling? Well, they also being the head coach, that kind of thing. You know, I mean, the amount of focus and I mean, you, that you need, it, there's so many distractions on the sidelines. It oh, makes total sense being a play caller, how the booth is fit for it. But this conversation's just intrigued me to start thinking about these coaches because we've talked about how great of a mind a guy like, say, Harson was. But, like, the one little flaw, young, early in his career, isn't maybe able to adapt, you know, on a play-by-play And that basis. was his first job outside of Boise, too, Point being, But in same yeah. thing, like, what we say, well, great. Manny Diaz, one of the best minds ever, but his might have been, you know, just articulating and getting it across to players. And it's sort of like this common theme we've seen since the post-Mac and post-Greg Davis era where, I mean, everybody has to go try to find that next great young football mind. Yeah. And that's a thing that you can go because we need you to be good at have that football mind first. But it's also admitting that you're going very early trying to find this guy that isn't fully developed. So the other parts of the coaching realm, say the play calling or adapting to the players or making things fit your scheme, we've seen those little flaws one by one. Now, hopefully Tom Herman's that type of guy that has had enough of the learning at the job at the different areas to be able to have that total package for Texas. But it also is sort of lending that if you keep going after these guys this early on in the process, it's going to be really hard to find a well-rounded coach that can actually win at that level. Yeah, I you know, going back, Rod, to the, co- the head coaches that call their own plays offensively. Yeah, it's I, impressive, we'll, man. We'll wrap it up with this. You know, the the discussion of whether or not Tom Herman's going to call the plays, and you know, from what I can tell at practice, the when we're, when we've been out there, it hasn't looked that different from how practice was last year. It looks like Tim Beck still got the headset on and everything's going through him. And I know everybody's going to want to know: Was Tom Herman going to call plays? Is Tom Herman going to call plays? I, I'm of the opinion that, and I, I shared this with you guys, and I don't remember which side of the fence you guys were. If you're a head coach and you're going to you're going to call your own plays, I think it's easier to arrive at, at a place and start that from the beginning. And then pass that duty on if you decide it's too much rather than to hire a play caller and then in the middle of it decide you want to call plays because Mm -hmm. then if it doesn't work, what's your fallback at that point? Exactly. Well, this is your fallback. You're already falling back on yourself. Well, exactly. Like, I I don't. No, no, no. It's just smart to not. Yeah. You can't do that to yourself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You put put up some uh, stop gaps in between you 
and having to do that. Now we got Herb Hand, so it's Tim Beck, Herb Hand. Hell, man, he may even decide, you know, Drew Merringer or somebody can do it before he does it. Because once you do it, as you pointed out, you're already on your way out. Because that's when the fit has truly hit the shan. Right. If you're and calling the plays. Right. It's like Charlie Strong. When he started calling, calling the plays. Like, exactly. Yeah, you're now done, he's brother. head coach. He's not offensive yeah. coordinator. He's not just smart. play caller. That's he has just a, a lot that's, of other duties. That's just a smart uh, professional buffer in between him and that. He'll be involved enough, I assure you. Yeah. I assure you he will be doing everything short of calling them damn plays. Yeah. <laughs> he called him for All the bowl week. game, and he's exactly. finally admitted that, that he called him for the bowl yeah. game. Which we could tell. We could tell. It was a, the tell it was first like, two drives, it was a totally different looking offense. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And for him, that was struggle because he doesn't like to do it on the sideline, that kind of thing. So I understand. Yeah. No, so. I, I think he'll. If he, I don't want him to end up calling the place. Like I said, because that ends up. I that don't means either, everything's yeah. bad. I don't yes. want that to happen. I want him to be a head coach. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like. Yeah. yeah. That would be nice. I, I would like to go. I don't. I would like to go at least like another. You know. At least make it to like a half a decade before I cover another coaching change. So let's <laughs> let Tom Herman have some success and, and right? sustain something that here. That continuity so can, of those old days. Stability. It's been a while, man. I will tattoo that on my forehead. That's what I want around here. Stability. Boy, like seven consecutive years with a new coordinator if a change is made now. I saw a great tweet by like, CB. I feel like Jerry that. Jones. Stability. Stability. <laughs> anyway. Want me some stability. Glory, I don't know if that was Jerry Jones or – Sling Blade, but it was one or the other. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, we'll preview the spring game and uh, mm-hmm. get you all the ins and outs, news notes, and nuggets you need to know before the long ones hit the field. Under the lights on the 21st at 6.30 at DKR. Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you're welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game. For everybody at the Austin Radio Network, 104.9 Horn, Horn FM.com, the Horn app. AM 1260, where you can catch Rod each and every weekday from 1 to 3 on the Rodcast. Same this plug. And thanks to Matt, you can get this show on iTunes, TuneIn, and all of our archives are on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just Google Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. We will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.